Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. All right, we have a great one to talk about today. Ice fishing leading to prostitution. Who knew? It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi, and we're going to get right into this ice fishing controversy. (laughs) Why, Laura, does the mayor of Hudson, previously infamous for calling the school board members in his town child pornographers, say that ice fishing leads to prostitution i mean it's not like i can explain what goes on in this guy's mind because (laughs) i i i do not get it but it is completely ridiculous and sort of hilarious and i have to give a shout out to former cleveland.com reporter karen farkas who lives in hudson who tipped off tipped us off to this first thing yesterday although obviously this was going crazy on twitter and other reporters found it as well but mayor craig schubert made these comments during a hudson city council meeting on tuesday night The council president had said a number of residents wanted permission to ice fish on Hudson Springs Lake, and it's been banned for a few years. Apparently, at least one person has died there in the past. And council members had this pretty normal discussion about what would happen about liability, what if somebody would fell through the ice, how it would tax the safety services, if somebody would have to measure it, how safe is the ice? And then the mayor weighs in and he basically says, if you open this up to ice fishing, well, on the surface, it does sound good. Then what happens next? I mean, he's speaking slowly. He says, does someone come back and say, I want an ice shanty in Hudson Springs Park for X amount of time? And then if you allow ice fishing with shanties, that leads to another problem prostitution (laughs) and now you've got the police chief and the police department involved and there was this like stunned silence in the council chambers and the guy next to him is like what like how do you respond to that that's the mayor of your town and it's ludicrous well i i just don't know how that's where the brain goes i Mm -hmm. mean it yeah we've all seen ice shanties they're like tents on the ice it's cold out there man it's like not the the place you would think of for for making the rounds as a prostitute and i did a quick quick search is like is this a problem elsewhere (laughs) and what i found was in 1988 there was there was a some statements about it in Minnesota that all turned out to be like myth, not real. But where did he come up with this? I, I mean, how how does your brain go from ice fishing to ice shanty to sex on the I, ice? I it's can't just... I can't imagine what went through council's minds when they heard him say that. I mean, yeah, why of all things to associate with ice shanties with prostitution? It for Schubert, it almost came to mind too quickly. As if it's the most logical association to draw. He couldn't A's believe no one. B's I mean, and obviously, C's. what's yeah. in that guy's background? I know the gentleman does protest too much, methinks. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, and I love the lead that Olivia Mitchell put on this story. You know, for his baseless claims that a book was being used in the high school creative writing class included child pornography. Like it was an inappropriate book. We've talked about it a bunch on this podcast, where the writing prompts for students questions you know about drinking and i believe there was sex but i mean they were like six of the prompts out of more than a hundred and for him to call the school board child pornographers was so bad that the summit county prosecutor sherry bevan walsh actually investigated him to see whether he should face criminal charges including disrupting a public meeting and inciting panic over the 
because of the threats to public officials that followed. So like, this is not the first time this guy has been in the hot seat well, over ridiculous comments he's made. And what he did there, I mean, here he is the mayor, right? And the, the city is a boil with this over the top controversy about the, the coursework. It was worth a conversation, but it was out of control. And instead of going in and calming the waters, he tells the school board to resign or I'm going to have you charged with child pornography. It was one of the most ridiculous statements, but he's now topped it with ice fishing, <laughs> ice shanties, prostitution. I, and I, and he's not talking obviously. And, and, and everybody's trying to reach him. This thing went viral. Everybody was talking about it. I did see one reporter uh, go on Twitter to say, you know, this kind of thing is said all the time in these meetings and people just don't know it. And I'm like, no, I've covered meetings in five states over the years, hundreds of these meetings. I've never heard anything well, does, this it, stupid. It does make you wonder what kind of things this mayor says all the time. Right, right. If we're just we're only getting upset by the ones he says at council meetings on the record on video. Like, what else is this guy saying? Know, maybe we should camp out there and see. <laughs> put a put a mic on him. It's almost like it's a parody, right? It's almost like it's a Saturday Night Live skit. I mean, it just you know you know what that leads to prostitution <laughs> and it's just you, you sit back and go what so he's more notorious and i am sure if you were a hudson resident you'd be hiding your head today that this is the figurehead who represents you you're listening to today in ohio why did cleveland mayor justin bibbs severely limit the number of bars or hotels that can have extended liquor serving hours during the nba all-star weekend Layla, he first he had to deal with the controversy mm -hmm. over snow plowing, and now he's <laughs> dealing with the controversy over people who want to drink till 4 a.m. Yeah, right. He's really, he's kind of taken it from all sides this, this week because of his decision to issue these extended hour waivers to only seven hotels with bars while denying the waivers to 80 others that had applied. And the waivers let the bars stay open until 4 a.m. during major events like, like the All-Star Weekend instead of, you know, the normal cutoff at 2.30 in the morning. Bar owners of the Ohio Restaurant Association are pretty upset about this. They've argued that after weathering the shutdowns and the the you know huge decimation of their businesses during the pandemic, that this would have been a much needed infusion for their businesses. And and even Council President Blaine Griffin issued a statement yesterday, kind of chastising the mayor for for limiting that potential. Courtney Estalvi though had a chance to talk to Bib about it yesterday, and. You know, his reasoning was pretty logical, to be honest. I mean, the most important consideration is public safety, he said. And letting bars stay open until 4 a.m. means diverting cops from their normal beats in the neighborhoods and making them basically babysit drunks until the wee hours of the morning. And that puts the whole city in jeopardy. Bibb said the city could have made plans for added security had they had more time to prepare. And technically, this whole permitting process should have started back in October. The state regulations require businesses to submit waivers to the city 120 days before a large event. And then cities are, are, are to submit those applications to the state 60 days before the event. And in the case of the All-Star Weekend, the first deadline would have been in late October and the second would have been in late December. Bibb, of course, took office January 3rd. So he was really operating on a limited time frame. The state and the city ultimately decided to uh, change its usual application timeline at the request of a local group coordinating the all-star activities. So the application process didn't open until January 12th and closed a few days after that. And these 80 you know, applications came in and he had to make some tough decisions. And I think that he put public safety first. And that makes sense to me.
What do you think? Well, here's the thing. This is a test, right? So he and he said he talked to Kerry Howard. He talked to his police chief and they all had a consensus. This is the way to go. So he he gathered all the information and he made the decision. That's what you do as mayor. Mm -hmm. Now he's being buffeted by lots of angry people. Will he stand by his decision? This is a test of his steel. And everybody's wondered. He's 34 years old. What will he do when the pressure gets intense? Will he have the confidence that he made a decision, did the right thing, or will he cave to the pressure? Well, I I think he's going to stand strong on this. I mean, Courtney talked to him yesterday. He'd already been exposed to several days of of you know getting blasted in the media, and and then this this withering long statement from Blaine Griffin. Uh, and he was pretty firm about his position and his logic, uh, you know, his reasoning behind the decision that he made and didn't seem to be caving. Um, so, good. yeah, that's a good sign because he's going to face much greater crises in the future. And as long as he he makes decisions based on having all the information, does what he thinks is the right thing. You know, that's what you do. And then you have to stand by it. Come what may. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be fun to watch. It's today in Ohio. Got a two-pronged question about automated speed cameras. For Lisa, let's start with the cities that want to expand their use. Which ones are they, and what are the arguments they're pursuing in the Ohio Supreme Court? Attorneys for the cities of Newburgh Heights and East Cleveland went before the Ohio Supreme Court earlier this week. They're arguing to strike down the law. There's a law that was passed in 2019, HB 62, that restricts the photo enforcement of, of traffic violations. And there are several, uh, you know, requirements in this bill. But the two that these attorneys are focusing on, these cities are focusing on, one of them says that municipalities must deposit all filing fees and court costs in advance advance in case they lose the case, except for those that involve school zone violations. The other provision in this law that they don't like is that total fine amounts must be reported to the Ohio Tax Commission, Commission, and then they reduce their allocations to that city from the local government fund equal to the cost of these tickets. So the Newburgh Heights attorney, Michael Cicero, says, well, you know, paying ahead of time, that makes us lose out on local government funds and court costs. Um, East Cleveland saying, you know, that the local government fund is a huge revenue source for them. It supports their police and fire departments. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the Supreme Court says. You know, um, a lot of states have had, you know, have laws against red light cameras. And, and traffic cameras. And um, also, too, uh, the cities are saying that this violates the home rule powers that are set out in the Ohio Constitution. So hmm, the state says, no, that's not true. So we'll see what, where this lands. Yeah, it's it's been fascinating. This is probably a 20-year battle now where where the legislators don't want cities to use automated traffic cameras because most people hate them, even though there's some that argue it takes out the racial bias that is inherent in policing over the last decades. Uh, and then these cities that are desperate to to scam us all for our cash continue to fight back. So, okay, part two. What is Cleveland area lawmaker Tom Patton proposing to do to further limit the use of these cameras. Tom Patton is a champion of those who hate these things. He has introduced seven bills to further restrict the use of of traffic cameras. Three of these are new. Four of them he had filed previously, but uh, couldn't get it through the legislature. Um, the, The new ones 
of the seven. He wants to ban cameras from within a half a mile of an interstate highway entrance. He wants to prohibit local governments and counties of at least a million residents to use them on highways. And that would only be Cuyahoga and Franklin counties at this point and require 80 percent of the revenue from these camera tickets to go to law enforcement costs. The four original bills. He wanted to ban it in local governments of 200 and fewer. That would take Lindale, the famous traffic trap off of that list, ban in any cities with no fire or EMS departments, uh, cap ticket, tap kick, cap tickets at twice its population of the city and cities get no more than 30% of the revenue. So yeah, he's basically just trying to shut this thing down. Yeah, he, he, this was, this is overwhelming. It's just the timing of this is fascinating because at the very moment, East Cleveland and Newburgh Heights are in there trying to, to, to get extra money by doing it. He's putting up more bills that they're going to end up wanting to fight because he's so crippling the, uh, the effort. Uh, I, I don't get a sense of where public opinion really is on this. There's been one of the traffic camera companies has been pushing us to write a story about a survey they did that when people truly understand how these work, they become more accepting of them because it takes out any kind of police bias. I mean, the cameras are colorblind. Anybody who violates gets a ticket and it's not profiling. It's not what we've seen police departments do. I just don't know whether uh, whether people would ever come to embrace that. Oh, I'm, I've always been for them. I remember being in Houston when red light cameras came in and they they finally outlawed them in Houston. But I, you know, red light running was a terrible problem. Lots of accidents in Houston. But everyone, you know, like you said, everyone sees it as a cash grab. But when you look at Newburgh Heights, they have 1,700 people in the city. Uh, they make $2.4 million on their camera tickets. That's more than half of their uh, budget for 2018. So some of these cities, that's really a huge chunk of their revenue. In Lindale, it's 93%. So, I mean, is it a cash yeah. grab? Is it a city trying to make revenue? I mean, you know, or, or is it somebody just trying to, you know, enforce the law with small, no resources? Yeah, I, when when Cleveland did it, Cleveland put these things up to catch commuters, not city residents, which a lot of people resented. If you were really trying to make neighborhoods and things safe, you wouldn't just target the people that live outside your city. If this is an honest way of trying to regulate traffic, people come to embrace it. But let's face it, Lindale shouldn't exist. It's tiny. <laughs> that ought to be merged with something else. Uh, East Cleveland's flat broke and, and having lots of troubles. And this is just for the cash. And that's probably not the, the best motive to put up speed cameras. Interesting stuff. Check it all out on cleveland.com. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Here's a refreshing idea. Who is Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb appointing to the board of the Greater Cleveland Regional Transit Authority? Layla? He's appointing two longtime RTA riders to the RTA board. One of them is Jeffrey Sleesman, a, a downtown resident and CEO and founder of a consumer goods startup. He's relied solely on public transit for decades. And the other is Lauren Welch, an Edgewater resident and assistant director of communications for Say Yes to Education Cleveland, who has used public transit since high school and still regularly uses it to get around. Both of these were recommended as appointees by Transit Advocacy Group Clevelanders for Public Transit. They've long called for more rider representation on the board, and the group pointed to RTA's 
12-hour shutdown during the recent snowstorm that left many riders stranded without communications from RTA about why and what was happening. And the group said, you know, they, they cited that as one of the reasons why the board really needs to draw upon the guidance of actual RTA patrons. Bibb said both of these appointees bring over 15 years of experience in advocacy and, and the technology sector and, and will really advocate for equitable public transit policies and innovation. And, you know, Armin Budish, the county executive, his last appointment, Roberta Duarte, is also a regular writer. And she was also recommended by Clevelanders for Public Transit. But most of these appointees are, are not. You know, the mayor, the county executive and suburban mayors and city managers are, are responsible for the board appointments. And, and, you know, they tend to be political. So this is very refreshing to see to see the board, you know, representing m the needs of the actual people using this system. So does this get us a step closer to the bold idea to try and make RTA free, oh. put us on the map as the place where anybody can use public transportation without paying for I it? I think it could, don't you? I mean, you know, Bibb says that, that these are appointments that are in fulfillment of his promise to to elevate the lived experiences of residents and, and uh, you know, bring a diversity of voices to, to commissions and boards. And and the lived experience of 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 residents, uh, I think, calls for that sort of change. Um, so, I mean, what do you what do you think? Well, the, the thing that throws me about this is we talked about this the other day when when he uh, said he wants to create a department to maintain the parks separate from public works, which does trash collection. And I said, you know, that seems like such an obvious idea, but it took a, a fresh set of eyes to propose it. Mm -hmm. It seems like an obvious idea that you'd have riders of RTA on the RTA board, not a bunch of stuff shirt mayors and and others who've been there. You, the people that it serves should have a say. But it took the fresh eyes of a new mayor to say, yeah, I'm right. going to do that. It's, it's just it's like, why didn't this happen years ago? Why isn't it automatic that a couple of seats are reserved for the people who use it? That's right. You're right. And, you know, a lot of people have criticized Justin Bibb for not bringing on more folks who know how the system works to help him figure it out. <laughs> but guess what? He's reinventing the system. He's reinventing City Hall. It's it's uh, I don't know. I, I've been the, the last couple of weeks have, have had there are a lot of been there's been a lot of City Hall news that has been very interesting, eye opening, refreshing. And uh, um, oh. I, yeah, this is a big one. It's it's just it's again. It seems like it should have happened a long time ago, but it took Justin Bibb to do it. So way to go, Justin Bibb! You are listening to Today in Ohio. What novel solution has a Columbus credit card company come up with to deal with the shortage of workers in Columbus to staff its call center? Laura, this probably puts a chill into the hearts of Cleveland employers that are also looking for <laughs> workers. Well, and it could be an inspiration for a lot of other companies that are having trouble hiring. But the idea is you can work remotely, which obviously two years into this pandemic is not totally novel, but the idea is that you could hire them with no intention of ever bringing them in the office. Discover is letting thousands of employees work from home. They're currently hiring about a thousand full-time position for customer care centers, and employees can live anywhere in a state that has a call center. That includes Ohio, Illinois, Utah, Arizona, and Delaware. They don't have a specific number of people per state, but about 25% of the hires in 2021 were in Ohio. So, I mean, that's a good chunk of, of uh, people they're looking to hire. And these jobs, 
start at $16 an hour with paid time off, education assistance, and other benefits. Like, I mean, I'm sure you have to deal with some irate people calling up about their credit card. It's probably not the world's easiest job, but you can do it from home. Yeah, I, the, the whole idea of one of the lasting effects of the pandemic is our whole changed view on working from home. I mean, there's so many companies that don't need to have people local to do what, what has to be done. And it allows so much more more freedom as we come out of the pandemic. And Dr. Fauci said yesterday, we are emerging from the pandemic very quickly. Uh, this will be one of the things well, that lasts, I'm sure. And when you think about this, like 16 bucks an hour, you answer the phone from your house, like no wonder restaurants are having hard time, you know, staffing and, and service oriented jobs. I mean, this seems like a pretty easy choice. All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What unusual record did two John Carroll University students set for the Guinness World Record fame? Lisa, I'm not sure I would look at this as a as a big achievement, but they set a record. <laughs> it's, it's certainly an odd achievement. I'll tell you, it feels like 25 hours when you're doing a pledge campaign for an NPR station. I can attest to that. But anyway, um, so these two, <laughs> these two sophomores from John Carroll University, Colin Kennedy and Zachary Sinut, Co. Um, they host a hip hop show called 808s and Mixtapes. So they were trying to get the longest radio interview. They think they got it. It has not yet been certified by the Guinness Book of World Records, but they did an interview for 25 hours and 35 minutes. The interview started at seven o'clock in the morning on February 5th. They think they're going to best the current record by nine minutes. And the current record is like a radio station in Nepal, I believe. Um, this show is on WJCU. 88.7 FM, which is the same frequency my NPR station was on in Houston. Uh, they got a lot of support from students and admins. They interviewed uh, the University Heights Mayor Dylan Brennan. They interviewed uh, John Carroll administrators and professors and local media. And they got a lot of help from their social media manager, Emily Davala. And when she was, you know, interviewed after this happened, she says it was a really fun experience and I'm glad I did it, but I will never do it again. <laughs> I mean, that's talking for 25 hours and 35 minutes. So yeah, a lot of talking. Hey, they talked for 25 hours and 35 minutes. Did they say anything? That's the question. <laughs> I don't know how you'd fill that kind of time. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Layla, sports betting is coming in hard, and it's got tons of revenue tied to it. How are the Cleveland Cavaliers getting into the sports gambling business? Well, the Cavs and Chicago-based Fubo Gaming have entered into a market access agreement that makes Fubo Sportsbook an official mobile sports betting partner of the team. Mark Bona reports that Fubo Sportsbook is, is intended to mesh a sports wagering mobile platform with a live TV streaming experience. The Sportsbook would offer Cavs fans personalized, immersive game day experiences. So I'm not quite sure what that looks like, but the partnership will come with a plan to eventually create a 3,000 square foot sports lounge inside Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, and fans would be able to watch NBA games and other sporting events and use the mobile app. But the team says the lounge itself will not be a sports book. So you have to use the app to place your bets and things like that. So uh, yes, sports Sports gambling is here to stay, and it's uh, invading our lives. <laughs> I, I, I know. It's just what's odd is that for forever, sports teams 
stayed away from gambling. I mean, Pete Rose is not in the Baseball Hall of Fame because he was gambling on games he played in and not 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 trying to lose or anything. But he was he's a pariah because he gambled on the games he played in or coached. And yet here the Cleveland Cavaliers getting into the sports gambling business. Yeah. Doesn't that pose some risks? It seems that, it would, right? I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if you if if you I don't know. It just seems like there's a there's a risk that games could be affected by this if the owners of the teams are getting involved. Is in that it. happening across the NBA? I mean, are we seeing teams left and right making these these partnerships with with uh well, part of the state law was aimed at giving teams the chance to have their own sports books. I mean, mm. that's that's part of the the goal. It just it, that has been it's just been anathema. You couldn't do it. It was it was third rail stuff, radioactive. No, no, no. And now you're in a partnership with a sports book. So it's just strange. You're listening to today in Ohio. We saved the best story for last, Laura. What are some of the best and most humorous anecdotes Court News Ohio found as people participated in court hearings remotely on camera? Well, I mean, whatever they were doing, they were doing it in court. So they were smoking cigars. They were driving. One guy didn't have a shirt on. Some people were laying in bed. And the magistrates and the judges in this case and the bailiffs basically have to remind people that this is a court of law and there are standards. They haven't been like mean about it, but they're just trying to help people take it seriously, reminding them of rules such as no smoking and eating or drinking while they're t- you know, giving testimony or pleading in a case. Yeah, the idea you'd be driving. You know, it would be hilarious as if it was a traffic case, right? I mean, it's like, you know, you're, you're driving while talking to the court. You would think the judge would be like, you know, you're breaking the law. You're not allowed to do that. You're supposed to pay attention when you're driving. Well, this magistrate in Akron asked this woman while she was driving because she noticed like trees moving in the background and a seatbelt strapped. And the woman said no. And they asked again, pointing out the trees. And they said, oh, I didn't understand the question. So it's like they forget that you can see where they are which but i mean there are some really great benefits of this like people no longer have to find childcare to go to court they don't have to take a, a day off or a half a day off from their job they could just go in a break room i guess a woman actually zoomed into court from the forklift it was not moving it was not on but she just just took the call right there um from her warehouse hey, job, you know what as cool. a parent of three children working from home i can tell you probably sometimes a forklift is the only place where you're going to get peace and quiet <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but one attorney apparently even built an entire courtroom in his living room with a trial table bench witness stand lectern professional video and sound equipment and the, the court the magistrate said i think there was even a flag so some people are <laughs> super into this Remember, so, so go ahead. Go ahead. No. go ahead. No, I was just going to say this all reminds me of that viral video of the attorney who unwittingly had a cat filter on while attending a hearing, and he had to say to the judge, <laughs> "I'm here, Your Honor. I'm not a cat." <laughs> I don't know how to turn it off. Right. Yeah, right. So, so Laura is was was the the gist of the story is that the the court is trying to get people to understand that if you are appearing for a hearing in court, you have to consider your surroundings to be a courtroom and you have to consider your behavior and your decorum as if you were sitting directly in front of the judge. Yes. That's, that's the point. 
Yes, so, and but they talked to people around the state and got their stories. And it, I mean, this is from Court News Ohio, which is a branch of the Ohio Supreme Court who collects this information from the municipal courts. And I got to say, they took a very like humorous, understanding tone. Like nobody is getting getting charged with you know disrespecting the court that yeah, I know I, of. Well, and you got to think that as these things are going on, if the UPS guy you know rings the doorbell, the dog starts barking. Right. I mean, you can't really get decorum when that's going on. You know, the dog's going to bark. And so uh, it's just it's a funny experience because you don't think of it. You, you don't think of yourself as being in a courtroom when you're on a, a Teams or a Zoom call. And the thing and, is, it's not just you and the judge, right? Some of these have 15 or 20 people all on the screen, just like you would be in court where other people are hearing your case. Yeah. Interesting story. I'm glad that they allowed us to run it on our site. You called and got permission and they gave it to us. So check out the story on cleveland.com. It's today in Ohio. That's it for Thursday. We'll be back Friday to wrap up the week of news. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Layla. And thanks to everybody who listens.